Okay, it's week number four, and we've made it through James 1. <laughs> so, uh, just to kind of review, how, how would you summarize James 1? Is it possible to just summarize the first chapter? I guess. I would say uh, it, it's, putting, it's, putting, it's putting it into action, our faith. It's it's make it's going to work with. It's uh, I was trying to think like a lot of times we use descriptive words and we want to simplify it. And I was thinking, what's that one word descriptive? You know, one word description for James one, which there isn't one because obviously we would have gone through this a lot quicker than <laughs> you know three weeks. You know. For me, I was thinking about that, and with what you're saying, you know, God builds our faith through trials and challenges in our life. Um, and how does how does our faith grow in Jesus? Studying His Word. I'm sorry. Studying His Word. Yes. And you know, I think it's by our willingness to receive, obey, and live according to God's Word. I, I guess it has to do with your friends too. Your faith can grow through your friends. Yes. The company you keep. Company we keep, exactly. I can attest to that coming here being here for seven and a half years. I'm a Church of Christ first timer, so to speak. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I really like I mean, when I think about receiving God's word, you know, we hear it, and then we want to obey it. And then, of course, we want to live it. And I think that's really sums it up a lot with uh, James 1. Uh, when, I, you know, when we think about verse 9, James 1.19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And, you know, realizing those things as far as thinking about the word, it really has kind of opened my eyes a little bit more as far as how I perceive the word. And I'm going into chapter two, uh, which I'm really looking for. I've been looking forward to getting chapter two for a while. Um, well, maybe, a little, no, I'm just kidding. I, I really am looking forward to going to. So as we move forward and we start in chapters, chapters two, James two, uh, we're talking about sin of partiality. And it it's really opened up a lot of, ins- well, given me insight and given me ways I never really thought of looking at myself as far as how I, what my perceptions are on a day-to-day basis. Um, I'm sorry? Oh. Sorry. first few verses there refers to the synagogue. They were very familiar with the synagogue uh, in Jerusalem. Supposedly in the first century there were 47 synagogues for different groups of people, what we might call denominations, scattered throughout the city. And he talks about that. He mentions here sitting at my feet and stuff like that. And the synagogue was a very formal kind of place, but its purpose was reading of scripture and being reminded of what the Pentateuch had said. <clears throat> yes. So we, we last left off where, you know, James is talking about 
not showing favoritism, that we don't want to judge others based off the appearance or by how they look. Um, John 7, 24, Jesus said to stop judging by mere appearances. Uh, verse 24, do not judge according by two appearance, but judge with righteous judgment, King James Version. Um, you know, when we make the judgment of others based on their appearance, it's contrary to who Jesus was. I mean, we know that Jesus loved all. Jesus stood for all, and most importantly, well, most importantly, Jesus died for all. So as we move into uh, verse 8, would someone like to read verse 8 through 13? James 2. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you have respect of persons, you commit sin, being convicted by the law as transgressors. For whatsoever you keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, you become guilty of the law itself. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now, if you do, don't commit adultery but kill, you become a transgressor of the law. I'm sorry, where you want to read to? Uh, 13. But speak ye, and so do, <coughs> as men that are to be judged by a law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to him who has showed no mercy. Mercy, gloria, against judgment. Now, there, there's two parts to this, where the first part he's talking about is the commandments, the judicial system, the law. And then, of course, there's the law of liberty, which talks about mercy that God gives. You know, judicial system is breaking one law, you break them all. Mercy, you know, mercy given, mercy received. I was thinking of an example, and I really couldn't think of a better one, listening to Mike Mazzalongo, he talks about a shower system where we're showered with God's mercy. You know, the mercy is just kind of pouring down on us. And if, if, we, if we stop that, if we stop the plug and we don't let that, you know, we don't let that shower, the water drain below us on showers below us or us showing mercy, then God kind of stops that flow of mercy coming on us. Does, it, does anyone else have any, any examples of that as far as, you know, mercy and what your understanding of mercy is? You know, making a difference between brethren based on race or wealth is unmerciful. And I think... Um, what God's this has been kind of a difficult thing for me to <laughs> understand more deeply um, I just know that you know when we accept God's mercy we need to be mercy you know we need to provide mercy to others David I think, uh, when I think of mercy I think of I, I almost think of a, 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 I guess 
in the same way of grace, maybe, and maybe you, like, the idea of, okay, the, we talked about now and then that the, the, the wage of sin is death, well, yeah, uh, whenever we make a mistake, do something we shouldn't, well, God doesn't have us put to, put put to death. Um, we're, we're giving, we do have consequences, but they're not grave consequences. So I, I guess it, 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 you get, you kind of get an easier <coughs> punishment, punishment than what you than what you may, uh, may uh, be uh, owed. So I guess that's kind of my thought of the, well, I think of what I think of mercy. Thank you. I mean, making a difference between brethren based on race, wealth, is unmerciful. The attitude, this attitude removes us from the law of freedom and mercy from ourselves and puts us back under the law of judgment. If that's how we judge based on wealth and performance, then this is how God will judge on us. Um, I think it's, it's just, it. I think about this and, you know, kind of how, like I said, I think I'm le learning a lot more <laughs> through this study than, uh, than you guys as, you know, putting this together. So I think, well, you know, putting a thought together that Mike Mazzalongo makes in that in his study lessons, he says, under the, the law of liberty or mercy system, salvation of grace or by grace through faith, God forgives our failures because Jesus paid the price for them on the cross. And when you think of, of that, that uh, he died for our sins, but yet we have... Uh, uh, the capability to have other sins forgiven by walking in the light and the blood of Christ continually cleanses us. So that's part of that mercy system. And it, it, it is different than the Old Testament law. And uh, But in the Old Testament law, there has to be a penalty paid when that law is broken. And uh, Jesus paid that. Yes. It was for one time. In the Old Testament, of course, it, you, every time... Year, one year came around, the sins were forgiven, but it rolled back, if you use that term. And uh, so it was, but yeah, grace and mercy is continual. Yes. Maybe that kind of helps feed the thought. Yes, definitely. The verse says that the Old Testament law was given to spell out what sin is, to make it clear what you're doing wrong. Uh, Jesus' law uh, brings his blood, his innocent blood, to pay for our sins. Uh, and we uh, so so one of the one of the contrasts is the law of justice pointing out what sins are. There's supposedly 486 uh, laws of the Old Testament. There are 10 basic principles, but there's 486 laws to talk about how we deal with 486 different kinds of things. But it's to point out what is done wrong and to point out what God would expect in those circumstances. Jesus' blood came to uh, wash away our sins, and we're reminded of the, our sins, that they are washed away, and if we continue to walk in the light, then our, his blood continues to cleanse us, and we are as thought of as pure, not sin, sinners, so each other is still a sinner. Thank you.
I think of mercy as how we treat our children when they've done something they shouldn't have done. Our Heavenly Father treats us the same way. He shows us mercy when we've done wrong if we're willing to ask for forgiveness. Same thing with our children. We show them mercy because we love them and we want them to do right. Yes. I don't know if this kind of pertains to the bridge, but and I may have got them mixed up. Steve Chisholm did analogies, which I kind of like. He said he graduated from college and was supposed to take a, a test for his license. It was on a certain date and everything. And he just forgot about it. <laughs> and so he came to him, you, you missed your test that you were supposed to take. You, you felt so bad. And the guy gave him, we'll give you a second chance. You can take it on this date. He goes, like a grace period. That was grace. You got a second. He, he got a chance to do it again. Mercy, he goes, I was driving along and was speeding a little bit. Uh, pulled me over. I said, did you know this? And he kind of did that. And he goes, okay, I'll just give you a warning. He goes, oh, I, mercy on me. So kind of they're related, but... Does does that make sense? It made sense to me how they. It makes sense. I I think about all the ways that people have given me grace or given, shown mercy on me, yeah. and sometimes I want to. Well, I sometimes I don't always want to provide that same grace or mercy in others because I'm thinking of myself or I'm being selfish. Right. So yes. So, moving on into. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. If I had, would have remembered that this was in James chapter 2, I probably would have ran far away when Ryan said, hey, would you like to teach a class? <laughs> no, actually, I've been really looking forward to this section because um, it's, it's something that, you know, I, I did not come, grow up in Church of Christ. I grew up in the evangelical non-denominational way of things as far as going to church. And, you know, this is, I didn't know anything. I, I just assumed once saved, always saved. I never really thought anything different. And um, I grew up thinking faith was a free gift with no responsibility on my part. And I think, unfortunately, that's what a lot of, you know, Christians think these days. I grew up thinking that, that as long as I believed, I was saved. Uh, I also grew up thinking that there is nothing, that there's nothing I could do to lose my faith or to lose my salvation. And, you know, when I first started coming to Church of Christ and studying with Dale, that was kind of the first time when I recognize or start to understand that um, understand that difference of what of what I thought before versus where I'm at today and even thinking more about this um, it's kind of it's pretty exciting when a light comes on because it's I, I really struggle with initially like well what do you mean you know I believe in Jesus Christ you know and there's tons of verses that will support that or what people want to use to be able to put their hat on the idea that 
Salvation has nothing to do with works, which is true. Um, I mean, we're not, we're obviously not saved by, there's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. So in that sense, there is true, but um, as we, you know, I was looking through some verses and there, there's tons of verses. I mean, Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. Romans 3, 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And I, I could go on and on with, you know, Galatians 2, 16, Romans 4, 5, uh, Joshua, and uh, countless other verses. <coughs> Um, you know, yes, we are saved by faith, and yes, there is no amount of work or good deeds that I can do um, to earn my way to heaven. And what's I found really well, what I found really interesting is, you know, James doesn't contradict any of these ideas. Um, you know, Paul stressed that we are not saved on the basis of our works, James or Romans four one five, but he doesn't discount the necessity of obedience. And it's interesting how this, I mean, now we're talking about faith, we're talking about obedience. And when we, you know, going through uh, the opening in James 1, we talk about receiving the word, being obedient to the word, and then, of course, living to the word. So here we are again talking about, you know, James is saying that faith, a faith that saves is a faith that obeys. Would someone like to read? James 2, 14 through 26. What use is, is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he has no work? Can, faith, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and, you, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, if no one, if, <clears throat> even if, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not, <clears throat> was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and the result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, for he is called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messenger and sent him out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also is faith without works is dead. Thank you. Now, uh, 
Brother Roper, he, he has broken this down into four sections of his book, Practical Christianity. You know, first he talks about faith without works is useless. Faith without works cannot be demonstrated. Uh, faith, and then faith without works cannot change a person. And finally, faith without works is not perfected. In James, or verse 14 through 17, James is saying, if someone says that we have faith but have no works, can faith save them? You know, if one has faith but does not work, does not obey, if we don't obey what we're reading, then, you know, he's saying that faith without works is useless. King James uh, said dead, faith, the faith is a dead faith. Uh, other translations do say it's useless, not working, unfunctional. Yes. In verse 18... You know, I love James' response here. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you faith by my works. You know, there is no way that we can show our faith except by doing something. You know, we in verse 19 through 20, faith without works cannot change a person. You know, the, the Jews prided themselves in their belief of one God. James commends them for, for their belief in one God. But James also says that demons believe and shudder. Demons believe, but they have, but they, you know, they don't change. And that's where, you know, where if if we don't have if there's no works that come from our faith, you know, then how can we really say that we're changing, or how can other people realize that we're changing? I mean, the demons, they believe just as much as we do. They understand, I don't know, would it be safe to say that they would understand more than we would? And yet, they stay the same. Yeah, I, I think that's a profound, that verse is so profound because if you think about that, is the idea that, uh, <clears throat> I mean, how, how, how casual are we now about saying, oh, I, I believe in God. Oh, I, you know, again, we're talking about works and we're talking about faith, how they have to work together. But so many people want to make that claim of they believe there's a God or they believe in God or whatever. The, the reality is the scripture says is so, so do the demons. But what does that mean? Exactly. I mean, it, it is. It means nothing just by making a statement unless you're living it. And, you know, um, I'm not trying to bring back the old law, but see if you follow my thinking here. Do you think that sometimes when you look at how they work so hard to follow to the nth degree and how he has opened this up so that we don't have to follow that, we take advantage of the fact that we don't have to follow to the nth degree. That we have become so lazy in our attitude towards Christianity and salvation that we no longer want to follow things like he wants us to because, oh, we have this ability to just, you know, we're not under the old law. We're not under the old law. And so I think it, it, it's real easy for us to become very lazy attitude towards our Christianity. It was, you know, that was the hardest thing for me to understand because people would say, well, you know, uh, you're, you don't, you're saved. 
you can never lose your salvation. Even though I struggle going to church, I struggle being involved. I, I, I struggled with even my self-worth as far as who I was growing up. But yet, it was, I was constantly told that you don't have to worry. And even though I didn't, even though I didn't understand, I really didn't understand as far as in actual physical thinking. But at the same time, I think there was something that there was a stunt in my growth. And you know, um, coming to understand these things, I really now I can look back and I'm like, wow, I had no clue. So I mean, that's that's true. Um, Mark, there's an illustration that David Roper uses in some material on a previous class on James talking about faith and works that they have to be together. And he uses the illustration of a boat, single-person boat with two oars, one marked faith, one marked works. And if you use one oar at a time, what happens? You go in circles. Yes. If you use both of them together, you go forward. So that's, that's kind of a simplistic uh, uh, illustration, but faith and works together is what uh, gives you progress and growth, if you will. That's... I also understand, though, that sometimes with both words, you may not be going straight as you do. <laughs> <laughs> that's experience. Yeah. Or, or you could be going down not in the right location where you're trying to go. Yes. That's where God's mercy and grace come. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. That's right. You're trying. So, new religious ideas, <coughs> traditions of men come about because people have started teaching something and gone too far one direction or the other. And so, a group or a thought comes in that's just the opposite. Martin Luther uh, came in at the time whenever you could pay money for your sins in advance, and that took care of it. And so, he was reacting against faith by law by works and so he came up with this idea in fact he called james a straw epistle yes it's not a real epistle it shouldn't have been included because he was reacting against the works oriented religion of the catholic church of the of the 15th century uh whenever we start reacting against we need to be careful anytime we want to put a butt in there we need to be careful it says this, but it says yes. this, but that's always a sign we should be careful and that uh, and react against. Uh, Martin Luther supposedly wrote his things on theses on the on the uh, church building door after studying only Romans. He had never studied the Bible, even though he'd been a priest for a decade. And he he picked up a copy of Romans and studied Romans, and he came up all these ideas out of Romans. But he was not getting an entirely balanced picture of what the New Testament taught. Uh, when we react against a, a, a doctrine, we need to be very careful that we don't overreact against the doctrine. Exactly. That's very true of the Restoration Church. We need to be careful that we're not overreacting against other things. Yes. What you know, James is saying that faith must work in order to please God. And I think there's, which I, there's two contrasting examples. You know, first he he talks about Abraham. You know, he was godly. He was a father of the Jews. He was a friend of God. He was willing to obey God, 
by sacrificing Isaac. And that started with his attitude in his heart of what he was willing to do. Um, and then we have Rahab, who was sinful. She was a Gentile. She was among the enemies of God. And but but she was will you know she was willing. Um, she was willing to when she believed, you know, when she led the, the spies away. She was willing to act based on the faith that was caused as far as listening to them. And she was justified. Um, you know, faith without works is dead. You know, when, when does death occur? When the body separates from the spirit. Faith separated from the works is lifeless. So this is what spoke to me most um, here is this, that for me to examine my heart and my obedience to the word, I think it's, you know, uh, Mr. Roper was talking about how we, we can learn this and we can see errors in others, but actually this is more about us inspecting our own heart and looking at ourselves and our obedience to God. It is not necessarily looking at fault in others, like, oh, I see this. And that really spoke to me because I think just in a general term, you know, I think I've read things and I want to easily look at how others fail instead of just looking, examining my own heart. Um, so, I mean, what's what spoke most to you in this section as far as when you think of faith without works? What's... I'm assuming most have been have grown up in Church of Christ, and no. <laughs> I mean, I have you guys had any experiences as far as when you think about faith without works, based off what you might have learned previously, or when the light went on, like it did for me. And one of the things when I <laughs> growing when I'm growing up, everything. I got the concept of, of, uh, of if you didn't say, God, forgive me, you had a heart attack and you didn't ask God to forgive you, you, you and before you hit the ground, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And that's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that, that the life you live towards God, with God, with, with, with the light, with the Word and everything, He's going to forgive you when you make mistakes and you don't have to have the anxiety that would come with that kind of approach or with even in the Old, the Old Testament. In other words, have any, have any person in this world who can say that they're saved, it's a member of the Church of Christ, the Body of Christ, not East Side, Body of Christ, because enter in the body and you can leave the body, but in the body you, you you know that you're working. You're you're working with God for God and the people. And then if you make some quote unquote minor mistake or maybe some big mistake, you can still have the faith that God will give you grace and mercy on on judgment day. Does that apply to assuming that we have mercy and it's based off our heart and how we're worshiping God and how we're trusting in Him? 
uh, you know, in our faith. Yeah, this was, uh, this is an interesting section, I think. I know one of the, uh, sometimes people take this and they, they look at it as being that, well, you, you should be doing works. I don't think that's ever, that's, only, that's not the essence of what James is trying to say. The essence of what he's trying to say is that if you have faith, if you have true faith, you will do works just because you that's that's just a natural byproduct of your faith. To have faith in a perfect God and a, in a perfect Christ who showed perfect love, you will have, your works will just be natural in the faith that you have. So you will, if if you are living a faithful life and you have faith in God, then then that's just part of who you are. It's part of the life and the walk that you have. Not that, well, now that you have faith, okay, let me start making a list of all the things you need to be doing. It's not about needing to be doing. It's about, it's just going to happen. That's why he says, you know, I, I can show you my faith by my works because I, my works have, that's, that's the, my works are a manifestation of my faith. Yes. I think God will give you opportunities. They'll just be, they'll just be there for you to take advantage of if you want to. He's not going to make you do it, but he'll put all sorts of things out there for you to do if you want to do them. But I think sometimes, too, though, to, to be where he's talking about, and I thoroughly agree with what he just said, but to be there sometimes, it takes some effort on our part to engage. Right. You have to start that process. Right. Okay? Yes. Um, if, you, if you go again, is this... And, Again, when you go back and you say, well, what we've studied so far, is there anything that stands out? For me, the other thing would have been active, okay? You, you talked from the very beginning about learning how that Christianity is not passive, it's active, okay? And that really comes back to all of this, as far as your faith, as far as your works, all those kind of things or whatnot. It is not something that we, okay, I got in the water, I'm done, and I'm going to sit back and see what God does with me. Yes, he will do things with you, but we have a part in that, a very big part in that and uh, for us to. And the more that we do, the more that we become living that whole environment um, is we want to be here together. We want to attend services. We want to be active in the things that are going on and all those kind of things. It is a change of heart and mind completely. And uh, that is the power of the word. It can transform us. But we have to follow it, and we have to learn it, because it can't transform us if we don't even know what it says. And I think, I completely agree, and I think God, you know, with what Doug was saying, how we don't always have to worry about every little thing that we do, and if I didn't pray or, or whatever. And I think God obviously loves us. He understands where our heart is, and He continually knocks on those on the door saying, are you awake yet, <laughs> David? Well, uh, kind of to follow all that up with, you know, when we uh, we talk about, you know, somebody that just believes, oh, hey, I'm, uh, I'm uh, okay, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I'm good. I think the thing that either may either a get forgotten. Or B, depending on who they're around, that they may they may not have gotten taught to them. Okay, if you're going to if you are going to be a Christian, 
okay, Jesus wants you wants you to live how he lived. Well, that's and that's a deep way. Um, I think uh, I I know for me, and I don't know how many others are like this. You can when, when we say that part, live how he lived. You can get uh, I I know me. I can kind of get distracted thinking of. Okay, does that I, I I can't go raise people from the dead. I can't go I can't go turn the, uh, turn five loaves of bread into enough to feed five thousand people. I can't do. You get to thinking about that, but you forget no 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 the simple piece of it. He he wouldn't uh, serve people. He wouldn't help people. Uh, he wouldn't sat with a with a, with a Samaritan woman listened to her to uh, talk to her about her life. He, he listened, so he listened, and, and that comes. And, and though, though that's you know, you, um, I think that that's part of the piece that that a lot of times people probably don't get, and so it's so so the idea of uh, faith without works. That's that. I think of that as getting back to live how he lived. He went and he he, he would if somebody's uh, uh, somebody was cold and without food. Well, he, he tried to help that, that situation out, um, and that and that, that's kind of what I think of whenever, especially when he talks about the part here about uh, if you see somebody in need, then you say go. Uh, well, go go on, and I wish you well. I'll pray for you. But you, if you have the means and you don't help, that's that, that feels like that's what he's pointing at. Thank you. Well, next week we're going to start chapter three, and I appreciate you guys' comments, and thank you. Dick's mother always said. A Christian should never be bored because there's always something to do. Yes. <laughs> she never was bored. As a lazy person, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. <laughs> well, thank you.